friends I'm still alive. I faced COVID again and I beat it. I faced one of the worst flus I've had in years and I beat it. And I'm here, I'm back. Space Castle is back on track, but I barely survived the subject of this week's episode. Let's find out what it is. And that's the intro. Welcome back to Space Castle. It's your clubhouse for all things nerdy. My name is DT, and I'm joined once again by the legendary, the illustrious, the frankly best humanity has to offer, Mr. Super Laser Seth. How are we doing, my friend? Uh, not good enough to live up to that intro. Oh, bullshit. You know you're awesome. I might be slightly more awesome, though, because I, I sat through the topic of this week's episode with you for your birthday, so I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a good friend, at least. <laughs> The best. Fair enough. So we very recently saw Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the uh, latest Marvel cinematic event. Uh, it's a movie that kicks off phase five of the MCU. It was directed by Peyton Reed, who uh, also of note directed 13 episodes of the Back to the Future cartoon in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was also written by Jeff Loveless, who has written for um, the Emmys. <laughs> It's also of note to say that he also won an Emmy, which is a little bit somewhat ironic, uh, as a writer for an episode of Rick and Morty, even though at this point being a writer for the Emmys is, is probably less embarrassing. So the film stars Paul Rudd as the titular Ant-Man, Evangeline Lilly as the Wasp, it's got Michelle Pfeiffer, it's got uh, Michael Douglas, it's got somewhat kind of newcomer Catherine Newton, and of course, Jonathan Majors as the brand new villain, the big, huge supervillain of the mcu king the conqueror let's just jump right into this 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 is this is a movie that was mercifully short <laughs> for an mcu movie i i know everyone's excited to get a hot take dt back on it's been a while mm, well there's gonna be some hot takes there's gonna be some lukewarm takes and probably a couple cold takes but <laughs> my hottest take is, is probably that this movie just fucking sucked honestly <laughs> I know you didn't hate it quite as much as I did, but I was shocked to learn that you actually didn't really love it either. I didn't. I have a weird feelings about this movie. There's a bunch of stuff that I don't think worked or made sense, but still kind of made me laugh, at least in the moment. So I got at least some entertainment value. It wasn't like I was sitting there miserable the way you were like, what is going on? I mean, there was a little bit of that, but it was kind of that um, that that type of laughter when you watch something really absurdist and it just makes no sense whatsoever. And you're like, how did they get to that point? Yeah, uh, I mean, the movie's definitely full of instances like that. Just to kick things off, like the editing in this movie is atrocious and it doesn't do the story much justice for a story that's already relatively lacking and kind of flat and probably stretched out. Even though I called the movie mercifully short, the, the story is, is not enough to fill the, what, two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour time frame. It's very tenuous at best. Uh, so the plot is that... Um, what's the fucking plot of this movie? <laughs> so uh, Scott Lang, Ant-Man, his daughter Cassie, has now been rewritten and retconned into a sassy, young, wonderkin inventor. And she has uh, invented a machine that sends signals down to the quantum realm, which I guess is meant to help map out the quantum realm so they can explore it and understand it better. Um, this results in King the Conqueror, who is taking up residence in the quantum realm after being sort of banished there. We'll get to that later. Uh, and he uses the device kind of like retroactively pulls all the heroes into the quantum universe for some fucking reason. It's hard to even describe the actual plot. It's a fucking Ant-Man movie. So he's got this chair that allows him to travel through the multiverse. And he gets banished or accidentally lands in the quantum realm. And he meets uh, Janet Van Dyne, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. And 
she thinks he's a good guy, so she's helping him like fix, fix his chair and like get his shit put back together and whatnot. And then she comes to find out that he's actually like a fucking warlord piece of shit psychopath who's like going through multiple like planets and multiverses and whatnot, and just fucking wiping people out. So she uses pin particles to uh, trash his uh, like the I guess the MacGuffin of his chair, the thing that powers it, trapping him there forever. She, of course, as we know in previous Ant-Man movies, gets pulled back into the normal world. And it's a retcon for Janet's story that shouldn't work, but it kind of does because we don't really know much about Janet's time in the quantum realm at all. So everybody gets sucked into the quantum realm, and Janet's like super fucking apprehensive because she knows what's about to happen because, you know, Kang's down there and he's got some sort of plan. He's going to fuck shit up. So it's basically all the heroes in the quantum realm trying to survive, trying to make their way, uh, basically just get back home. And they get caught up in King the Conqueror's sort of plans to reacquire more Pym particles so he can unexplode and reassemble the sort of engine of his chair, regain his powers, which is, includes like his power suit. And then from there, take the army he's amassed in the quantum realm and uh, just keep being a fucking conqueror again. Did I get most of that right? I feel like I did. You left out the uh, Janet Bill Murray sex, but other than that, yeah, they're good. <laughs> well, there's only so much you can fit into a 45-minute long podcast. So the plot's all over the place. The editing is all over the place. The acting is in parts good. This is essentially Michelle Pfeiffer and Jonathan Major's like, movie, which is weird because every time we get one of these Ant-Man movies, Ant-Man is always like the sidekick or like a secondary character in all of them. It's just how it happens. And it's fucking weird that he has been chosen to be sort of the the usher into the fifth phase of Marvel movies because he's not really a compelling character in his own right. I am not an Ant-Man fan. I fucking love Paul Rudd. I think he's fantastic. I think his humor is like spot on with mine. I love most everything the man's done up to this point, but I don't like Scott Lang. I don't like the writing for these movies. They just don't work for me, aside from Michael Pena. Yeah, this is just a really weird choice in more ways than one to kick off what needs to be a really pivotal and really important and sort of stabilizing phase of the Marvel movies because it's been kind of nebulous for a while now. This very much feels like a movie that was made by committee. Way too many cooks in the kitchen spoiling the broth. Yeah. All over the place. They couldn't decide if they wanted to do a true hard pivot from the previous two fully more fully comedic anime movies into something that was more serious. So they tried to split the difference and in a lot of cases, it just doesn't work. And you're completely right that the movie is called Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. The two characters who have the least effect on the plot, arguably, are Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's true. Cassie creates the MacGuffin, and she's the one who is actively wanting to get involved in the revolution against Kang, pushing the plot forward. Hank has some stuff come out that like he's he even he's a little bit more involved. He he's the one who ultimately actually saves the day, which was so which kind of a neat moment, but it could have been set set up better. And it's really more so the conflict between Janet and Kang and their history that actually drives the majority of the plot. Uh and Michelle Pfeiffer's great. She's great in pretty much everything. Like you said before, there's some weird awkward stuff that was kind of shoehorned in. We learned more about Janet's time in the quantum realm while she was trapped there for however many decades while, you know, her daughter, who was the Wasp, was growing up and so forth. Uh, we learned that, like you said, that she became an ally to King the Conqueror before knowing he was the Conqueror. And then when she realized who he was, she trapped him there indefinitely and then kind of like started a revolution against him but then inadvertently got sucked back into the real world. So everybody in the quantum realm is pissed off thinking that she started this revolution and then like deserted all of them. Well, here's the thing. She did desert all of them. Not intentionally though. I mean, she got, she got pulled out of the quantum realm in Ant-Man and the Wasp. But she was reaching out actively to Scott and Hank Mm. by possessing Scott trying to get out so it's not like she they were trying to get in and she accidentally got sucked out she was trying to escape which is completely understandable but yeah understandable yeah but then again that also creates that sort of retcon that doesn't really work because now we don't know who the fuck janet van dyne is because is she like this revolutionary who tried to help people or is she the one that just wanted to get the fuck out and just leave it all behind like 
Well, she's both, and that's part of what makes that plot line more interesting to the point that I almost wished that they had just called him in on the Wasp Quantumania and not used Evangeline Lily or Paul Rudd at all and just had Cassie, Hank, and Janet get sucked into the quantum realm by themselves and just do the movie with the three of them. Uh, see, that would have been a much better movie. Yeah, because then you've got the actual original Ant-Man and Wasp and Cassie. Let's talk about Cassie for a minute. Catherine Newton's fine. Sure, she's, she's fine as an actress. She's not the best actress. I get what they're going for with the character. So uh, Emma Furman played Cassie Lang in uh, Avengers Endgame, and I thought she was fine. It was suitable. It's a small role. Uh, she was recast by Catherine Newton, who is fine in the role. Not great, I thought. But Emma Furman didn't know that the role was recast. It was no longer hers until she saw an official announcement online from Marvel. So apparently Marvel decided they would much rather go with somebody who was supposed to be like something of a a potential it girl for this movie. Uh, I think they should honestly just at this point just keep recasting Cassie in every fucking Avengers and Ant-Man movie going forward. Just pick like a random like potential new it girl going forward. Like fucking in Secret War, let's have it be like fucking Jenna Ortega as Cassie. <laughs> uh, let's let's jump forward in time. Let's have a fucking Peyton List from Cobra Kai as Cassie. That'd be amazing. Just for no fucking discernible reason at all. Let's just have Zendaya play fucking Cassie for like one Ant-Man movie. <laughs> just so it makes as little sense as possible. There you go. There, There's one of your alternate Earths. <laughs> mm. Tom Holland and Zendaya are Ant-Man and the Wasp. Instead of Spider-Man and MJ. Marvel, stop listening. Don't take these ideas. Please don't. Please don't dig yourselves any deeper in this hole. Do it. Do it. Ugh. Overall, the cast is fine. Paul Rudd is just doing the Ant-Man thing. It's not asking a whole lot of him. Uh, Evangeline Lilly as the Wasp is kind of icky at this point because of all our anti-vax shit. It's getting harder and harder to support these actors that are doing this type of shit. Like, What's her face in a uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever? It, it's hard to see these actors that don't give a shit about people in real life actually be like heroes in these movies. It's kind of a drag. But Michael Douglas has next to nothing to do in this movie until the very end. It's a really weird, silly Deus Ex Machina. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, like I said before, she's fantastic. Jonathan Majors is probably the standout in this movie. And it's to both his empowerment and his detriment as King the Conqueror because. He is a very charismatic and fun and interesting character, and he brings a lot of gravitas to this role that is essentially supposed to be potentially bigger and badder than even Thanos. Like, he's supposed to be like this bad motherfucker. And he, he does pull that off. He's a lot of fun to watch on screen. He's very electric. He's terrifying. He's also got, like, this little edge of, like, slight humor to him, and it's really good. And it all kind of gets fucking deflated because it's an Ant-Man movie, and, like, the guy who's supposed to be the next Thanos, like, gets his ass beat by fucking Ant-Man. And spoiler alert, a bunch of fucking ants. And I know this isn't like King the Conqueror's like final form, so to speak. We, we know he's going to come back bigger and badder and stronger, but you don't introduce like your big, huge, like multi-movie picture deal supervillain who's going to take on the entire fucking universe and smack the Avengers around by having his ass be handed to him by fucking Paul Rudd. You just don't. <laughs> and there's an element to Major's performance that you're not able to appreciate because you didn't finish Loki season one. I never will. Which is the contrast between the version of Kang that he plays at the end of that, which is not the same one that we get here. He who remains versus Kang the Conqueror, where in Loki, he's a person who's been isolated, trapped for a long time to the point that he's gone a little bit nutty. He's manic. He's all over the place. The humor is definitely a lot more there. He's a lot more esoteric. You can see Majors is pulling on the range that he's going to need to do a lot of different versions of this character and do them well. Yeah. Which the movie eventually also sort of teases is is going to continue to be a thing going forward, which isn't a surprise to anyone who knows the comics or the Kang dynasty, um, that the character of Kang with all the time travel parallel stuff, there's... 15 different versions at least that are all the same different takes on the same character yeah i mean that's the one thing i'm really interested about going forward with king the conqueror is just seeing jonathan major's performance as those many different versions of king himself because as of right now i mean we know what thanos's 
like motivation was from the get-go. And we knew he was going to be a bad motherfucker. He was played by Josh Brolin. We understood who he was and what he was about before he came actually onto the scene in Infinity War. And now we've had two instances of King the Conqueror in these movies, and I still have no fucking... I, I mean, I, I know King the Conqueror from the comics. I know his story. Uh, you know, he's a Richards. He's, you know, a descendant of, of Reed Richards. And I know all about his backstory, about how he was trapped and whatnot, and all the things he did. But in these movies, for somebody who hasn't read the comics or wasn't a nerd like me growing up, how does anybody have any sense of who Kang is or what his ultimate goal is? There, there's no fucking buildup for this character. And it's, it's Marvel just kind of slapdashing all this shit together and just kind of seeing what sticks. And on the one hand, I kind of don't blame them because now all their A-list characters are gone and we're stuck with Ant-Man as the guy who has to usher in this next phase of Marvel movies. But at the same time, like you can still do all these characters justice and treat them like they're A-listers and actually present this villain as a viable threat and an interesting, compelling character instead of him just kind of being a throwaway at the end of Loki and then just kind of just being like a standard run-of-the-mill villain here with no actual build-up or sort of... So with you not have again, not having watched the end of Loki, he is not a throwaway at the end of Loki. He shows up, commands the screen against Hiddleston, does some great work, is extremely memorable and makes a strong impression, just like he does here. So, I, but, he, but then he dies, and this version of Kang is essentially irrelevant. It's an interesting setup for the character as a concept, but it's, it would be like if you skipped Infinity War and you went straight to Endgame, and you've got that version of Thanos who's actually not, not had any sort of interaction with the heroes at all, and we know he wants to like destroy the universe in some way somehow, but we don't know how he got there. We don't know what his motivations are. We don't have any sort of like connective tissue in his relationship to the other characters and all the awful shit he's done killing vision and, and all that type of shit it's just here's a villain he's a fucking bad guy that's all you need to know and we're like great don't fucking care like awesome <laughs> but some of that stuff they tease it here again but some of that stuff is set up at the end of loki he's pruning timelines for the purpose of keeping things contained and stable if the according to him at least it's very much back to the Thanos vein of I have to do these terrible things because it's ultimately you know for a greater good. We don't have the resources. We have to snap ha snap away half of everyone. The Kangs are kind of we will do the thing that no one else wants to do, which is prune these timelines that are causing disasters that could potentially destroy all of existence and cause worse things to happen and. Okay, if one entire timeline or parallel universe or a dozen of them need to be completely obliterated for that to happen, well, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, as Colonel Mustard once said. Oh, we don't get that in this movie. And that's another issue with Marvel in general is the fact that these movies have stopped being really cool event movies that you would go see with your friends, your family, like once or twice a year. Now there's like seven fucking Marvel movies a year and there's multiple TV shows and you have to keep up with all of it. And it's very, very wildly, wildly different degrees of quality. I just don't have the fucking time for it anymore. So that's a significant issue with the MCU going forward. For one, Feige's already acknowledged that. They've cut back. I think there's only two MCU shows coming out on Disney Plus this year. I believe that it's just Secret Invasion and... Um, is it Loki season two? Loki season two are the only ones actually scheduled to drop this year. Uh, what about Daredevil? Is Daredevil supposed to be this year or next year? No, Daredevil's next year. All right, that's a mercy. <laughs> you also have to keep in mind that these releases would not have been nearly this condensed had it not been for COVID. Yeah. And a two or three year holding pattern where there were movies that got delayed by a lot. Stuff that couldn't go into production, stuff that would have already been going. Think about how completely scrambled the beginning of Phase 4 was. Movies came out in a completely different order. They had to completely rewrite stuff because Multiverse of Madness was originally supposed to be way before No Way Home um, and set that up and not the other way around. What WandaVision was supposed to be after a bunch of that stuff. It's It was all over the place. Yeah, as I understand it, WandaVision was largely rewritten because it got all fucked up. And I think that happened a lot with this movie too. I've heard rumors that basically 
part of the reason why Quantumania ended up being so short was because they ended up like reaching the end of it of production and like we don't have time to finish the effects for a lot of these act like action sequences and stuff we had planned to fill this out or modok <laughs> modok is a big one um one thing whenever you talk about uh, unfinished or bad looking effects with marvel the thing you have to remember is that the actual visual effects artists they have working there are some of the best period in general like they pay for the best sure what ends up happening from from my understanding and the rumors and, and the things that you hear is that the creative side waits until the last possible minute once 57 different like partially finished versions so they can try and pick the quote-unquote best one and then they'll do a test screening and then scrap all of them and then demand something else i think that's what happened with modok i think they probably had something completely different that was probably a little bit more comic accurate i think they probably focus tested it and maybe it was too scary for the kiddos or something like that so they last minute tried to do something that was the thing with Modoc and spoilers for for the movie for anyone who hasn't heard this, Modoc uh, in the comics is a character who was um, the leader of a group called AIM, which got repurposed all the way back in Iron Man three for something completely different, generic super scientist, super villain type, but giant floating head with little baby arms and legs, bizarre looking, beloved by a lot of a lot of people in the comics for how bizarre looking he is. In this version, they play uh, play it off the ending of the original Ant-Man and have Corey Stoll return to play this role, um, which is treated as a reveal, even though everybody kind of knew it was coming if you follow the production at all. It wasn't really a secret. This is very clearly one where they have they had like an outline of an idea like a one sentence blurb, hey, wouldn't it be cool if he was Modoc from like back when they were working on like Ant Man 2? And then when they came down to this one, they were like, that's a really good idea. That's a really good idea. And they never actually bothered to write it. And then he showed up to set or to record. And they were like, oh, wait, we actually have to come up with like how this fits into the plot. And the way that they try to mask it is to give him just this bizarre, goofy humor. A character tells him, don't be a dick, and then he stops being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> like, is is literally what happens. It's very, a lot of people seem to like it. Didn't work for me. It's very meme humor. It's, it, I might be too old for it now. I think it's, I, I think it's one of those things that was written for an audience that's younger than me at this point, to the point where that humor just doesn't work for me that was exactly the thing i was talking about earlier when i was saying that i was uh, laughing a lot at stuff that i didn't really like but it still amused me enough that i'm like um okay well you know like at least i got a chuckle out of it instead of you know wolverine origin style raging at how horrific it was yeah where it's just flat out fucking insulting to the characters I thought the the origin of Modoc in the movie was actually kind of clever. It was an interesting throwback from Yellow Jacket from the first movie. Like you said, played by Corey Stoll. Uh, he might kind of just be a poor man's Peter Skarsgård, but I still like the guy a lot. I thought he was phenomenal in the House of Cards on Netflix. He's a great actor. Um, the execution is very, very much from an Emmy Award winning writer of Rick and Morty. <laughs> It's that type of humor kind of shoehorned into a, a Marvel movie centered around this character. And it, it could have worked. It could have been fine. It's completely fucking destroyed by the horrible special effects. I know this has been a big, huge source of contention on social media and just people in general, where there's the one hand where people are like, yeah, it's fucking Modoc. He's supposed to look fucking ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking love Modoc, but he didn't need to look like they just took like a straight on fucking shot of, you know, Corey Stoll's face. And just wrapped it around the model of the character and called it good. Like there's no depth. There's no, there's no, there's no like finishing on it. It's just, it's literally his face wrapped around this cylindrical form. He barely makes eye contact with the characters he's talking to. It's just nothing lines up. It was super slapdash. It, it was to the point that honestly, it was like every time we saw Modoc come up on screen and I knew that mask was going to come off, I was cringing because I just didn't want to fucking see it anymore. But the mask looked terrible too. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's just super bad execution for a concept that could have worked. I like the idea of Yellow Jacket getting sucked into the quantum realm in the end of the first Ant-Man and getting super fucking warped and distorted and just kind of like destroyed, basically, and holding that grudge against Scott Lang for all these years for doing that to him. But it just doesn't play out properly. And like you said, the whole don't be a dick resolution. And then the force humor at the end when he, again, fucking spoiler alerts, Modoc dies. Like the gag there just, it just doesn't fucking work. It was like them trying to like try and do what Taika Waititi and even Taika Waititi can't do Taika Waititi in these movies anymore as, you know, illustrated by Love and Thunder. That type of humor just gets fucking exhausted. It's really, really hard to make it work, and you can't just do it for the sake of doing it. And that's what they try to do with this, not only with Modoc, with a lot of this movie. A lot of this movie feels self-referential to other like instances and styles of the MCU. There's a lot of James Gunn in this movie. There's a lot of Taika Waititi in this movie. There's a lot of borrowed moments that aren't earned, and everything just feels super fucking try-hard, or like they just had no ideas, and they just started cherry-picking from like other more successful Marvel movies. And they just don't properly set up. But that's the other thing with the way that they set up Modoc being Corey Stoll is that's the perfect debut supervillain if you're going superhero with Cassie. He was literally a boogeyman who showed up in her bedroom as a child to attack her. Yeah. Like her original trauma. And they sort of kind of tease like they might go there and then don't follow through on it at all. Like that should be her whole thing. Yeah. There's that joke where like she never had a normal childhood because a man dressed as a bee tried to kill her when she was six, like that type of thing. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's no emotional resonance between any of the characters or the villains in this movie. And there absolutely could have been because the foundation was already laid there. They were just too lazy and too rushed and just, at this point, I don't think Marvel fucking cares to try and do that level of quality anymore. They're just cranking shit out at this point. There is. It's just all between Janet and Kang. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. That was the most compelling thing. And that was from the get go, this movie is edited so weird because that whole scene with Janet and Kang in the very beginning of the movie should have come before the Marvel Studios logo. Right from that point on, it was like, this feels weird. This doesn't feel like it was like properly planned out as a Marvel movie. Like, Already the pacing is off and it just doesn't feel right. And then we cut to Scott Lang walking down the street and doing, you know, the fucking usual Paul Red stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is what this is going to be. I just, I really feel like they needed to, to pick a lane and go with it. And that's either do the more serious Janet Kang storyline as the full centerpiece or not do that at all find it have modok be the actual villain and just like have scott and louise and his old gang get sucked into the quantum realm instead <laughs> so louise reacting to everything in the in the quantum realm that, that that alone would have been a better movie than everything we got in quantum mania like go either go full aquaman or go full serious yeah yeah this movie was a lesser version of aquaman to me it was trying to do that kind of goofy stuff, and it just didn't have the sincerity or the emotional through lines to sell a lot of what they tried to. It all makes sense. I can completely see like versions of it that would have been like where you're sitting there in the pitch room or putting together a script, and it felt like they took like heartwarming scenes from like eight different versions of the script and just kind of tied them, tried to tie them all together with a bunch of random rubber bands and duct tape yeah no you're absolutely right and there's instances in a movie that i think you're you're spot on about in that regard so uh we've got william jackson harper who is fantastic as cheating in the good place and i fucking love him in midsummer i think he's phenomenal in that movie he plays this sort of psychic character who's part of the revolution that we spoke about before that janet sort of abandoned to king the conqueror and he's a good actor he's a fun actor i would much rather see him in something much more prominent than like a throwaway background character in this movie it's kind of a fucking shame he could have and should have and would have been a fucking amazing reed richards i thought but he gets some like haphazard kind of slashed together not great comedic moments and the one that really stood out to me is just being like this just total like shoplifting of one's own like material was the scene where the little like uh the gelatinous pink character who's supposed to be like this sort of throwaway character, like this this physical sight gag character, discovers his brand new power and uses that power to beat up on a bunch of Kang's sort of henchmen. And 
William Jackson Harper regards that he didn't know he could do that. And it's supposed to play as like that exact same moment in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie where Groot throws his arms out and he, he just kind of rips apart all those, uh, I think they're, they're not Chitauri, they're something else. Groot throws his arms out and he slaps the fuck out of all these, these fucking evil soldiers and he turns around and he grins at fucking Star-Lord and Drax and it's that moment of just, just what the fuck just happened? And you could tell they were just trying to lift that fucking moment with this little pink like goo character that we don't give a shit about and they give the punchline to a character that even though it's played by a great actor, we don't give a shit about and this whole movie is that. It's, it's trying to shoplift like, emotional beats, and it's trying to like, steal comedic beats that it just doesn't fucking earn. Like, nothing in this movie is earned at all. It just feels slapped together. And I think you're probably right that there's probably like half a dozen at least versions of this script, and they ended up just like, taking parts of that script and just cobbling together and creating a fucking production script and just running with it. And I imagine they probably rewrote a bunch of it as they were fucking filming it too, honestly. This movie feels that haphazard and that badly edited after the fact, because there's not a whole lot of connective tissue. Things just fucking happen. We get cuts in the middle of action because the editing is so bad that you, you don't actually know what the fuck just happened. There's a scene where Ant-Man and uh, Cassie are both gigantic. They've, they've both done the whole reverse Ant-Man thing, and they've turned into like Giant-Man and whatever the fuck you want to call Cassie. And I didn't realize that it happened because there was no edit that illustrated them like growing into giant form, even though they're incredibly small because they're in the quantum realm. And they run up and they hug and they start talking about how, oh, we're both giant. Oh, my God. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, there's been no visual cue for the audience to say that both these characters are giant. And the fact that the world is such a, a mismatch, just blob of CGI, there was no sense of scope. So it's a very serious problem that this movie suffers from, from beginning to end, because it's not giving you any of the information you fucking need. And it's not earning any of the things it's trying to take from the audience. It's just there and it's awkward and it's weird and confusing and frustrating and i had two beers during it thank god because if i had gone into the stone fucking sober i probably would have hated it even more but yeah it's it's just it doesn't work on almost every level aside from jonathan majors being fucking great and michelle pfeiffer like trying struggling to carry this fucking movie on her shoulders Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas, even with Michael Douglas having pretty fairly limited role, like just have so much more chemistry and are so much more interesting to watch together than Rod and Lily. Yeah, eventually Lily walking out like she's fucking Kristen Cinema in the beginning of this movie immediately turned me off. I'm not a fan of her at this point anyway because of all her anti-vax bullshit, but there is zero chemistry and there's been zero chemistry between those characters for multiple movies now. And if you're going to recast somebody, don't fucking recast poor fucking Emma Furman. Recast Evangeline Lilly because they're not even giving her anything to do as a character anyway. Like, there's no reason for her to be there and be second billing in this movie. She's even less of a character than Ant-Man is in his own movies. It's just bizarre. Just fucking get rid of her, honestly. It, it really feels like they were, the movie was so piecemeal. You said it felt like they were writing it while they were filming it. it to me, it felt like they were still writing it after filming it all the way up to release, <laughs> like trying to piece stuff together, it just feels like they're afraid to get to try any actual character development or write any of that 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 into the script, other than like extremely very very broad character arcs. Yeah, because they don't know what scenes are actually they never know what scenes are actually going to make the cut and what have to get completely scrambled and redone. Uh, it doesn't feel like they're writing a movie. It feels like they're writing a bunch of scenes that they think sound neat and then afterwards trying to assemble them into something resembling a movie. Yeah. And then this movie also suffers from the very serious problem of like literally 95% of it being CGI. So we know about the, the continuous problem that Marvel movies have where you get like a pretty good first half of the movie. And then it gets to the third act, and the third act just becomes like a random fucking CGI mess where nothing really makes much sense, and it's all like bombastic for the sake of bombastic sake, and there's not a whole lot of character beats and moment. And oftentimes, like the resolution isn't as you know successful or satisfying as it could be. This is this entire fucking movie. <laughs> this entire fucking movie is is one big like third act of a Marvel movie with all the problems. All of the issues and all of the you know the lacking in all the most important areas. There, there's some nice like, CGI background type work going on that's that's pretty lovely and that was very clearly 
done with love and a lot of skill with some of the backdrops, especially in the quantum realm. But yeah, there it definitely hits a point where it just becomes noise, noise. Yeah, um, which which is true of the characters too. All of the freedom fighter type characters you mentioned, William Jackson Harper, but um, all of the other ones. That little uh, that little whole creature, I believe. That was David Dostmachian. What? Really? Yeah. Polka Dot Man from Suicide Squad. Yeah, I mean, he was... Peter DeVries in Doom. He was in Ant-Man 2 as well. Yeah, he's part of uh, part of uh, Louise's crew. Like, that was him. Really? Doing the voice of it? Like... Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but all right. He was probably the best part of Ant-Man and the Wasp. His his line Baba Yaga is still the, like the only thing in both of those first two Ant-Man movies that actually made me laugh. It's a fucking great line. He is a dynamite actor. I cannot wait to see more of him in Dune Part Two because he's great. Such brilliant casting for that role. Yeah, in Dune. I, I I'm not feeling great about Phase Five of the MCU. Obviously, I fucking hated Phase Four for a lot of reasons. Uh, very very little of it landed for me. Uh, I'm ready to be done with the multiverse because it's just, I've never been a fan of the multiverse at all. I'm holding out hope for Secret War. I'm holding out hope that maybe they pull something out of their ass with the Kang Dynasty and we just get something good with Jonathan Majors. But I hate to break it to you, but the entire premise of uh, the Kang Dynasty and the stuff that they're very clearly taking from Secret Wars. Uh, incursions and some of the certain terms get dropped that are very clearly associated with the more modern version of Secret Wars, um, Jonathan Hickman. Yeah, all of that is very, very explicitly multiverse. Yeah, no, I know that. But I'm what I'm hoping is, what I was getting at is that I hope that all this multiverse bullshit that I hate actually results in something good. It's not going to. I know that. Marvel keeps writing themselves into a wall with all of this shit, and it's going nowhere fast for me, personally. I would like to just be done with it. I want to be done with Phase 5. I am already at the point where, despite the fact that I love Jonathan Majors as an actor, and I'm interested in King the Conqueror, even though we know next to nothing about him, and they've done a very poor job of basically setting him up, other than saying, here's this really fucking great actor, and he's going to be the next Thanos. And we're all like, okay, but he just got his ass beat by a bunch of fucking ants. I'm still intrigued to see more of him, which I guess is a success. I want to be done with the multiverse. I want to move the fuck on. I want to see how badly they fuck up Fantastic Four and X-Men so I can honestly just be done with the fucking MCU in, in general at this point. I don't know. I, I just, this is not a good way to kick off what needs to be a very, like I said, a very important and very stabilizing phase for Marvel in general because it's been all over the fucking place. Like, I, I know that COVID fucked a lot of shit up. It rearranged a lot of stuff. It made it really difficult to write things and produce things. But even that said, like the first like 24 or so movies leading up to Infinity War were just so, with the exception of some stupid shit, very meticulously planned out and very carefully planned out. And Marvel could have taken the time, the downtime from you know the pandemic and whatnot to even more carefully plan this out and, and make King the Conqueror really fucking compelling and decide, you know, to not have a fucking Black Panther who is a young, plucky, wonderkin inventor, and then have a fucking Ant-Man successor who is a young, plucky, sassy, wonderkin inventor, and then have the heir apparent to Iron Man be a young, plucky, wonderkin... Like, Marvel's not even fucking paying attention at this point. Like, they're just recycling all their own shit. And that's not even counting Spider-Man, who's also a young, plucky genius scientist with superpowers. Um, <sighs> I think that's why Hawkeye and and Widow and talking about Kate and Yelena stick out so much from that because at least they're not like the super scientist types. They're super competent at what they do. Yeah, Hawk, Hawkeye was my favorite thing of Phase 4. It was the most original and interesting thing. Even though I don't really like Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye, he's fine, he's serviceable, he's a background character. Fucking Kate Bishop and, and Yelena, like, give me more of that. Like, that was interesting and compelling and fun. And those were characters who had, you know, some flaws and some vulnerabilities. And they weren't, like, 16-year-old fucking super inventors who create devices in, like, grandma and grandpa's house that can map out an, an entire fucking universe. Which, by the way, the multiverse is supposed to be, like, an actual fucking universe. And so far, it feels like it's the size of, like, Utah. <laughs> so, I don't know. 
you said something a minute ago, and I, I got to kind of like that. The first few phases of those Marvel movies were not as tightly planned as you remember. Maybe. That's one of the things to – the difference was each individual movie at that point, even the weaker ones, it does feel like they stopped and actually tried to write a movie. Like there's a logical progression through the movie even if you don't necessarily like it or it's not super well executed of – here is a character arc for the characters. These scenes advance that character arc in a gradual, logical order where one scene goes from the next to the next. Now everything feels like it's less about writing scripts and character arcs and more about moving pieces on a big character outline. And they're just moving something around on the board like that um, that episode of South Park when they're doing the superhero parodies and totally. they're, they're planning out the Coon and Friends franchise and they're like moving the movies around on their board of phases and planning everything for the narrative strictly based on that. And now it feels like they're doing that within the movies. Like they're writing individual scenes that they think might be cool. They've got some set pieces because they have to do the previs way in advance. We know that there's separation between the people writing the character stuff and the people working on the action scenes we know that for a fact with marvel yeah um it's been documented over and over and over there's been some directors complaining about the fact that they essentially had no input on you know the third act of their movies so yeah the third act being predetermined because it has to go to a thing and you just kind of have to reverse engineer it from that that just doesn't work anymore you're right no i mean if you take a look at phase two which is a pretty divisive phase of marvel movies it kicked off with iron man 3 which i know a lot of people really like i fucking hate it but it also was still more or less a self-contained story about iron man about tony stark there's characters there's arguable character development because tony stark has gone through literally the same fucking character arc over and over again including the you know the infringers movies there was thor the dark world which a lot of people it's, it's the fucking flip side where a lot of people fucking hate it and i actually kind of enjoy it but again, it was a self-contained movie. It had some instances that tied it, you know, into, you know, what's to come and whatnot. Fucking Captain America Winter Soldier is still probably the best movie in the entire MCU. It's really fucking good. It's up there with Infinity War. It's excellent. Again, a relatively self-contained Captain America story that had something to say. It was interesting. It was intriguing. It kind of blazed its own path by being something of like a political thriller on top of the really great action. Guardians of the Galaxy was just fucking incredible. And it managed to be a really heartwarming and really hilarious and self-contained story that also proved that the actual celestial outer space wacky crazy shit that was being set up for the MCU could actually work. Thank you, James Gunn. You fucking knocked out of the park with that. Avengers Age of Ultron, which is kind of shit because it it like inadvertently tied into Thor Ragnarok in a really weird roundabout way that doesn't actually work in retrospect. But um you know, it kind of, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of Age of Ultron in general. It doesn't really work for me. But again, it was more or less a self-contained story because we were still building up to Thanos at that point. And it gave us Vision, which is m it makes it more than a worthy entry to the MCU. Because like you said, it's not just moving pieces around on the board and just continuously just trying to fucking set up the next movie without taking care to develop a movie at that point. There was a reason for Vision existing. He, he tied into the villain. It's not the best movie, but it's it's still there. It's not just for matter of fact or just for the sake of eventually building up to some fucking movie that's like five or six years off. And then phase two ended up with Ant-Man, which leads us to where we are today, inevitably. So, and Ironically, the part of Age of Ultron that feels the most displaced and that people don't really like is the Thor having the visions of the Infinity Gems part. Exactly. Which is... Guess what? The part where they started doing too much connective tissue and it was something that got forced in by the studio because they wanted to set up something in the future. And it it's not them like, we'll make this movie and then based on the ending of this movie, now it's okay, well, the next movie can be this. It's them planning four, five, six, ten movies ahead. Yeah. And everything behind it is now getting retrofit exclusively to set up future stuff and not to support itself. 
it's something that happens with the comics too. It's just over a much longer time frame. You mentioned like with Iron Man, with his character arc repeating. I mean, to a certain extent, that's what comics are built for. You get these cycles with almost every major long-running comic book character of there's like certain phases that you can identify where the, that they're going to go through. It's a certain writer comes in for their run. They want to explore. Do they want to deconstruct the character? Do they re- want to reconstruct the character? Do they want to do a quote-unquote classical version of the character? Every Batman writer's got to do his version of the Joker. Mm. Like, you know you know that sort of thing um with the comics you can space that out because one writer's comic book run if their issues are coming out monthly and you don't have delays 12 issues in a year might be two three years to do one full like run run of stories for for a writer if it's a particularly successful run Mm -hmm. with the movies you're doing that arc in two hours and then a couple years later repeating it again in two hours and then a couple years later repeating it again in two hours and not spacing it out with the deconstruction and reconstruction and kind of the waves where it's like, hey, it might be if somebody does this version of a Batman arc where, oh, well, he's trying to get along with the family and the other characters are a lot more involved. And then as a reaction to that, the next person makes him much more loner again. And then, you know, you, you kind of space things out. The movies just can't do that. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, and it's, it's weird to me that, that, that their response to that is just to keep throwing more stuff at it. Because now we've got the TV shows from Disney plus and it makes, so like, like I said before, like Marvel Phase Two was six movies, and that was pretty fucking good. Like I was, I was really happy with that output. It was nice. It was a good steady flow. Phase Three was eleven movies, which is a fucking lot, because that was when they started like trying to really ramp things up towards Infinity War, which came in like the last third of of Phase uh, Three. So you had Captain America: Civil War, which is fucking great. Doctor Strange, Guardians Two. Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, which is great. Black Panther as a result of what happened in Civil War. And honestly, like Civil War was the one movie that got away with like dropping in all these new characters to like ramp up to multiple franchises going forward. They successfully pulled in Spider-Man and Black Panther into that movie, and it relatively worked pretty damn well, honestly. But Phase 3 was like 11 movies, and Phase 4 is like eight fucking TV shows. And then on top of that, there's like seven movies. It's just too fucking. It's just too fucking much. <laughs> and here's my problem with Phase Four. It's not just the fact that it's oversaturation. It's also the fact that everything feels like a piece of a puzzle. Everything feels like you said it's just moving pieces on the board to lead up to something else. And it feels like what they're leading up to is just fucking insanity. It's just it's not leading up into anything cohesive. It's not. It's not feeling like. And I think Ant Man and the Wasp colon Quantumania <laughs> is, is proof positive that all of the chaos and insanity and just all around mess that was phase four isn't necessarily leading into something very concise and cohesive and compelling like everything was leading up to during the Infinity Saga. And that's worrisome because, like you said, like I know a lot of people really like it, but did we really need a She-Hulk series? I know I fucking know we didn't need Moon Knight because that didn't go fucking anywhere. And if I'm Marvel, I am completely forgetting that Eternals ever even happened because nobody gives a shit about that and there's no way that leads up into anything compelling having to do with King the Conqueror. I, I, I just, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they were doing here. I, I, I can't see a plan. Like, I don't see a point A to point B to point C to point D like it did with even the most ridiculous and outlandish and silly and kind of messy, like Infinity Saga movies. Even when it was at their messiest, there was still that sort of driving force without too much encroaching on the actual individual stories to tell. Here it's now just leading up to something, and they're half stories. But what it's leading up into, as illustrated by Quantumania, it's just as fucking messy as the journey there, and I'm getting more and more frustrated and less and less interested in caring because it feels like Marvel's just doing whatever the fuck they want to do because they know people are going to watch it. They know it's going to create controversy and people are going to defend it or get into fights over it, and it's going to be trending on social media. 
which is going to draw more and more people to go see it, whether it's interest or intrigue or just morbid curiosity. And it feels like they accomplished what they set out to accomplish. It became a world powerhouse in you know the industry of movies by accomplishing what they accomplished with the Infinity Saga, which is fucking impressive. And much like what Endgame was, was just sort of a victory lap, it feels like now it's just, you know, we'll just do whatever the fuck we want to do because they're just going to keep giving us fucking money and going to pose with the awful fucking Hulk suit at Disneyland. Like, we won. We can coast from now on. And it feels like they're just fucking coasting. It feels like they don't give a shit anymore. It, it really does. It doesn't feel like anybody gives a shit about the stories they're trying to tell anymore because they did what they accomplished. And it probably all should have just ended or rebooted or started over from scratch when the Infinity Saga ended with Endgame, but instead it's just being dragged out like a fucking corpse. Like, the MCU feels like fucking Weekend at Bernie's at this point, and that's funny for a little while. It's like a, just watching a train wreck, but now it's like, I don't want any more fucking TV series. I don't want to see any of these movies. Aside from loving Jonathan Majors as an actor, I don't fucking care about Kang. Like, I just saw him get his ass beat by Paul Rudd and a bunch of ants. Like, this isn't like Thanos going toe-to-toe with Captain America and Iron Man and Spider-Man and the Guardians of the Galaxy all at once and holding his own and like kicking their asses and being scary. He, like fucking suplexing the fucking Hulk and like shit. It's like he got his ass fucking beat by Ant-Man in a very like anticlimactic way. And yet we're supposed to be like, oh man, he's going to come back and he's going to be really fucking scary. I'm like, no, like the shittiest fucking Avenger, the joke character of the Avengers beat the shit out of this guy who's supposed to eventually be scarier and stronger and more of a threat than Thanos and I just I think Marvel's got their collective heads up their asses at this point I don't I think they've lost touch I really do I think they're out of touch if fucking Thanos showed up in the middle of a like a phase three movie and fucking Black Widow beat the shit out of him and then he, he ran away and then we're supposed to come back to like Infinity War and be like, oh, here comes fucking Thanos again. Like he's scary as fuck. It's like, no, he got his ass beat by Black Widow in the previous movie. Like they've deflated this character before it's even had a chance to become like a credible threat and an interesting villain. And they don't even see it because at this point, I don't think they, they have a broad idea of what they're going for anymore. Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're right on about that very last bit that a lot of this is a symptom of them still trying to feel out exactly what they want to do now and not knowing where they're going with stuff or or what they want to do other than kind of a very vague idea of this is the character that we want to do next um, and just relying on the actors to try and sell the performance. But uh, I'm going to disagree with a couple things to the end and we're going to get into the spoiler territory there, but Scott doesn't, really do much of anything he only gets the MacGuffin because wasp shows up and helps him he wins the fight at the end because he gets to kang for that fight essentially because cassie shows up and helps him he beats kang the first time because hank and his army of ants show up and help him he beats kang the second time because wasp comes back and helps him Mm, yeah in every single one of those cases, he, it's he didn't let he didn't win a fight against Kang. No, but he still got his ass beat by like the worst sea level fucking characters. Though that's my point is what this movie should have been is Kang winning. You know, like setting it up where like maybe everybody escapes the quantum realm, but they know that Kang is like really fucking pissed off. And they weren't able to stop him, but they were able to escape with their lives, which is in and of itself a victory. But knowing that King is still out there and he's going to come back bigger and powerful and more badass than ever, he's just got to find a way out of the quantum realm, which was disrupted by, you know, the whole sabotaging his little fucking chair engine thingy again. That leads me to another point, and maybe the, maybe the last point I'll make on this movie is the very end... We almost think it's going to be like like a melancholy ending where Kang has been defeated and he's been banished to God knows where. And the portal back home closes and Ant-Man and Wasp are seemingly trapped in the quantum realm. And 10 fucking seconds later, we see Cassie clicking away on a fucking keyboard and she, she magically somehow knows how to reopen another portal from the quantum realm into the real world. And Ant-Man and Wasp like jump through the portal and everybody's all fucking happy and everything's great. And that I, I, I'm sure you heard me. I audibly said, "What?" <laughs> I had the same reaction at the time. 
there's this minuscule beat where they think that they've beat King, but they're trapped in the quantum realm. And to me, that felt like a fair trade-off for the bullshit that Janet pulled, where she started this revolution and then she ran away, where maybe, you know, Ant-Man and, and, and the Wasp were going to be stuck in the quantum realm for a little bit of time. They're going to help them rebuild and reestablish and have some sort of stability. But some of the quantum realm has been completely fucked because Janet helped King come into power, and then she took off when he came into power and started enslaving and, and terrorizing everybody. And now they've they've gotten rid of Kang and they've left a destabilized fucking quantum realm to his own devices while they go back to fucking Baskin Robbins in the human world. It's just it's so fucking weird. It's so fucking weird. I don't recommend this movie. I I, I have very, very serious fears about this next phase of Marvel movies going forward because if this is your pivot point, this is like your kickoff point, this is where you're supposed to like prove to audiences that you're riding the ship and all of the noise that was phase four is actually leading to something. This is not the fucking movie to do it because this movie was just more goddamn fucking noise and suffered from every symptom that every piece of phase four suffered from. I did not like this movie. And I'm honestly, I'm holding out hope for Guardians 3 because if Guardians 3 sucks, then I'm just fucking done. And I think I might honestly just be done after Guardians 3 anyway because... I, I'm just not feeling the MCU, and I keep going and seeing these fucking movies. Aside from Black Widow that I didn't see in the theater, and I'm glad I didn't because it was fucking terrible, and I watched it in three parts because I couldn't take it all in one sitting. But I keep holding out hope that Marvel knows what they're doing, and it's all going somewhere. And it is. It's, it's going right into everybody's bank accounts and making a cash withdrawal and you know, just lining their coffers with more and more money that people continuously spend and insist on defending these movies as some fucking form of piece of art that it just isn't anymore i don't know so regarding the ending i do want to go back to them one sec because i had the exact same thought that you did we talked about it after the movie and then i saw something later on that sort of made me feel it differently about it but not in a good way um do you remember how ant-man 2 ended um with Scott stuck in the quantum realm. Is that how it ended? Yeah. Because yeah, Scott gets stuck in the quantum realm because for Endgame... He gets popped out by the rat in the van. Yeah, 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 right. Doesn't know about the blip. So they basically would have repeated the exact same ending two movies in a row. So I agree that in the context of watching the movie that felt like it would have been a more satisfying and earned ending. But I also saw a bit from the, the director and the writers and they were like, well, we thought about that, but we decided against it because it was the same ending two movies in a row. Take that for what you will. I don't. Cause I think that's bullshit. It felt like they just needed to go back to the status quo at the end of this movie, just so everybody could be back on proper. I keep wanting to call it earth, but the like, Quantum Mania effectively exists within Earth, kind of. It's a dimension beneath our dimension and so forth, or the universe beneath our universe and so forth. I think it's bullshit. I thought it was a huge, massive cop-out ending, not just because it was like, a, oh, wow, they're going to get stuck in the quantum realm and they're going to be forced to help these people and like do something fucking worthwhile, but also because Cassie is just like this deus ex machina character that all these young characters in these Marvel movies are now. Or a couple of clacks on the keyboard, and so she suddenly she knows how to like manually, like automatically open up a portal into the fucking quantum realm, which is kind of interesting because now there's a doorway into the quantum realm anytime they want to go back. So I would love to see if there's any sort of fucking resolution from this movie. Ant Man and the Wasp and Cassie going back and forth to the quantum realm to help them build and bolster and regrow and take care of themselves and turn into a proper society and not just be like basically fucking the Rick and Morty version of Mad Max where everything's just gone to complete fucking shit. That would be lovely. I'd love to see that. We probably aren't going to fucking see that. I really doubt it, but it'd be nice. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's all over the place. Um, it's to me it's it's all I mentioned this earlier, it's all a lesser version of Aquaman at this point. At least this one was. It's it's goofy and dumb and I shouldn't laugh at it or I shouldn't enjoy it because I can tell that it's not well thought out 
or made or coherent. And yet I still laughed at it while I was watching it and didn't hate it completely. So it's a ringing endorsement if I ever heard one. Uh, yeah, I think you should write the pull quotes for the fucking back of the Blu-ray when it comes out. <laughs> I mean, we, we've already established that I have a higher tolerance for that between Aquaman and the, fa- the latter Fast and the Furious movies. So I will say this, and I'll end this episode on this note. I will take more Modoc over more fucking Trevor Slattery. <laughs> oh, man. See, I had a Trevor Slattery joke ready to go because there was one thing that could have made this movie worse for you. <sighs> fucking Trevor Slattery. I hate that fucking character. I hate it so fucking much. Give me more fucking 1996 PlayStation 1 Modoc with fucking Corey Stoll's face just wrapped around it than one single more goddamn fucking second of pointless goddamn Trevor Slattery. I hate that fucking character. His leer was the toast of the quantum realm. <laughs> I think, is that going to do it for this episode of Space Castle, Seth? I don't know if you can take much more. No, probably not. So that's going to do it for this episode of Space Castle. HR Clubhouse for all things nerdy. As always, my name is DT. On behalf of Super Laser Seth, the best that humanity has to offer. I thank you guys for listening every week. If you like this movie, if you hate this movie, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, on social media in general, at SpaceCastlePod. Or send me a long-form email at SpaceCastlePodcast at gmail.com. I will accept your hate mail. I will read it. I will even respond. Tell me what you loved about this movie. Tell me what you hated about this movie. Tell me about your hopes and aspirations and existential fears for Phase 5 of the MCU. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Love you guys. Take care. And be good. You could say bye, too, if you want, Seth. Bye. There you go.